1: Now, is there anybody out there? Or should I say, is there anybody out there? Greer Jackson phones home to BBC broadcaster Dallas Campbell. As long as human beings have been roaming the earth, there's been conspiracy theories. The point is, I think we all are conspiracy theorists, just to various different degrees. Um, But the modern story of flying saucers began in the 1940s.
2: What happened in the 40s?
1: The beginning of the modern UFO phenomena. So Kenneth Arnold was a civilian pilot who was out flying. Thought he saw something, reported seeing some bright flashing light, which he described as being like a a saucer if you skipped it across the water. And the press picked up on this, and suddenly this idea that this term flying saucer uh, was, was cottoned onto. And from then on, it went crazy. We people started seeing flying saucers everywhere. And of course, from 1947, of course we have Roswell, which was the modern culture today is still poster child of, of flying saucer conspiracy theories. That and Area 51. And I've been to Area 51 a few times. You go off the main 375 highway and you drive down about 13 miles. This dead straight dust track, and you get to a turn in the road, and there's some uh, some hills, and beyond those hills is the actual base. And you come to a, a sign, and of course the the exciting bit about the sign, it just says use of deadly force authorised. And if you go past that line of their own, they are quite within their rights to, to, to shoot you. The reality is, though, if you do go past, what tends to happen is um, they give you a hefty fine and send you on your way.
2: Dallas and I are being facetious. We're not really looking for little green men, are we?
0: We have to be much more imaginative than assuming that if aliens exist, then they are all sentient, intelligent and look like us.
2: That's Jim Al-Khalili, professor of physics and editor of the new book, Aliens.
0: What we're really looking for is any evidence that life exists or did exist somewhere else other than Earth.
2: And what do you mean when you say we're looking for evidence? What is the evidence that might be out there?
0: One way is to point our radio telescopes to listen out for signals from space. But that's looking for life that has advanced enough to send out signals. Of course, there's also another strand which is looking for the signatures of life in planets in other star systems, extrasolar planets, they're called. And we hear in the news now, in the scientific news, almost weekly of the discovery of another so-called Earth-like planet that doesn't tell us life exists, but what's really exciting now is that we have the ability to, just by studying the light coming from a star that could pass through the atmosphere of a planet going around that star, that light could carry with it the signature of molecules that could only have been created if life was there.
2: And I suppose the other thing that we should really talk about is Mars, thinking especially of the very sad ExoMars crash last week.
0: With Mars, we can actually send probes there, and if they land safely, um, you know, like Mars Rover is still, you know, busy, then they can look at soil samples and really, really study the composition there. We don't believe there's life on Mars now, but there is... A strong possibility that Mars did harbour life. Billions of years ago, Mars was much more like Earth. It had an atmosphere. The climate, as it were, was a bit more conducive to life. It was warmer. So life could have existed there, and the jury is still out.
2: We really are trying our darndest to find life somewhere, anywhere. Where is everybody? What, why are we not being successful in this, given how much power and science we're throwing at it?
0: Yes, you've just quoted the famous Fermi paradox. Enrico Fermi, the the nuclear physicist, he asked that question. But actually, despite searching for so many decades, we are only sampling a tiny, tiny fraction of what is out there. After all, we're only looking towards star systems that are close enough to to us, you know, 100 or so light years away or nearer. That's only our little neighbourhood within the Milky Way galaxy.
2: So half the problem is that the universe is just a really big place. But how big is big?
3: Astronomical.
2: (laughs) Meet Neil deGrasse Tyson.
3: An astrophysicist and co-author of Welcome to the Universe.
2: I suppose it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. So how big is astronomical?
3: You raise an interesting philosophical point, because normally when we describe our life experiences, we compare them to other things that are of commensurate intensity or size or, or weight, you know, you'd say, well, how big was that hailstone? Oh, it was as big as a golf ball. But since the size of their universe falls outside of our life experience, there's no easy corresponding thing to say the universe is so big. It's as big as, see, that's the end of the sentence. There's no, there's nothing you can bring to the, to the cause.
2: Also talking about understanding the universe. I mean, there's theories out there that suggest actually there may be many universes and 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 actually we can only see a section of our universe. But within our universe, how many galaxies are there? How many stars within those galaxies? Planets?
3: So the observable universe contains approximately 100 billion galaxies. And a galaxy contains upwards of 100 billion stars. And planets, we have come to recognize, are quite common. You get about 1.8 billion planets in the galaxy.
2: Not a small number, then. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, not a small number. <laughs> and we talk about a lot about Drake's equation. This is trying to calculate how much life or intelligent life could be out there. You say 1.8 billion planets. What number of those could be what we consider habitable.
3: Yeah. So just because you have planets doesn't mean there's life on them. And, and by the way, this conversation could go both ways. You could say, well, you're not going to have life on all of those planets. Well, actually some planets have moons and the moons themselves could have life. So there are estimates ranging anywhere from one, which is just us to, I would say several hundred, some cases a few thousand, but if you're going to be sort of middle of the road conservative, you'd say several hundred civilizations in the galaxy that you can communicate with.
2: Technologically advanced civilizations aside, though, is Neil optimistic that life exists beyond Earth?
3: So if you study the question of life, what we're made of, we're made of the most common ingredients in the universe, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, nitrogen. You look at how many planets there are, you look at how fertile carbon-based chemistry is. So you take that basis of evidence and you would be inexcusably egocentric to suggest that life is rare or that we are the only life in the universe. So the issue of intelligence is a separate question from the issue of there being life at all.
2: I have one final question for you, and that is if you ever got the chance to meet an alien, an extraterrestrial, what would you say?
3: I would ask for help, because for sure human civilization in 2016 needs help. Now, I would hope that they are benign and kind, because if we were they, we would come upon a civilization less advanced than we are, and we would just round them up into reservations or kill them or, or, or enslave them or, like I said, put them in a zoo. So I would hope they don't treat us the way I know we would treat them.
1: Neil deGrasse Tyson with that rather salient message, and before him, Jim Al-Khalili and Dallas Campbell. They were speaking with Grey Jackson.